Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. The Restory Show, Season 2, Episode 3. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. They've got over 180,000 titles to choose from, from your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today, I am welcoming my friend Chris Fabry to the podcast, and he is a radio personality. You may have heard him on the Moody Radio Network, and he's also a novelist, and he's written a whole bunch of books, like I think he told me the number in the podcast episodes. So he's a busy guy and he has an amazing story. And this is one that uh, we haven't covered on the Restory show yet and it involves health and it involves home. So I just pray that uh, his story would be an encouragement to you today. So let's listen to Chris and I and our conversation. Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth with the Restory Show, and I'm really excited to have my friend Chris Fabry on today. He has written lots of books, so we're friends as writers, but he's also a radio guy, and so I'm a little nervous about interviewing him because uh, this is the thing he does for a living. But I know he has some amazing stories to tell us, so Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Great to be with you, Mary. Thanks for having me. I just wanted to ask the the listeners for, or not the listeners. Yeah, they can't really talk because they're not in this conversation. I was going to ask you for the sake of the listeners, just to share a little bit of your background, your story, and kind of bring us up to speed to where you are today. Now that could take like four hours, like I said before, or it could take like three minutes, but just kind of give us an, you know, just in a nutshell, what it, what that is. Dangerous thing to give a radio guy an open microphone. Yeah, it's so bad. Yeah, uh, short I'm trusting short you. version. <laughs> Grew up in West Virginia. Parents who went to church but really didn't know Christ, uh, didn't have this uh, relationship with God. They listened to back to the Bible on a secular station in their area and really understood the gospel. And so, at an early age, I was probably eleven years old. I understood what Jesus did for me, and I committed my life to him. And then the kind of the wilderness years, we left church that, you know, my parents were going to, and and I kind of floundered until college. And in college, I thought, you know what? If God really is creator of all and Lord of the universe, I either need to live my life according to that or go my own way, just have fun. And so it was in college that rather than running away from the faith, I ran toward it, got involved in the InterVarsity group, met my wife there. We were married in the last year of college. And I was doing radio. I'd been doing radio since uh, high school, did some TV news reporting there at the end of college. And my wife was in radio news. And we both felt like uh, after six months of marriage, just this stirring of somebody else can cover the city council meetings. Hmm. There's something more for us. We got to do something. And our pastor said, you need to go for more education. 
and he suggested two places, one of them Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. So we packed up everything we owned in the back of a 1978 Toyota Corolla, which was Andrea's uh, five-speed. Scary. <laughs> to Chicago, and we, we lived there. We studied there at Moody, and uh, a lot of opportunities opened up because of that. We thought we'd be on the mission field. And my professors were saying, well, you know, all of my friends were in 1984 uh, when the Cubs were doing real well that year. All of my friends were going to the mission field or to Dallas Seminary or, you know, into counseling ministry, you know, all these types of things. And I was sitting there watching the Cubs. <laughs> and um, so the, the professor said, so you've had a background in writing and radio and news. Do you not think God can use this? And I thought, well, if, if you're a full-time Christian person, you know, really having a, making a difference for the kingdom, you got to be a pastor or a missionary. That's all you can do. And they kind of opened my eyes up to that. And so that began this odyssey of being on the radio, doing the, the interviews, doing the question and answers. Having my heart opened up to writing again is something that I really wanted to express myself, you know, and, and what God was telling through my story. Andrea and I have nine children from 31 all the way down to 14 now. Wow. And so 2000, we moved from Chicago to Colorado. And that started us on this trajectory of me writing with Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye in the Left Behind Kids series and doing some work with Focus on the Family and other things that we felt like, you know, God's opened the doors, we're moving west and we're making, <laughs> making a big change here. And You're having was, some adventures in Odyssey, maybe? <laughs> we did. I did. I actually got to write. A, they're That's really cool. hard to write for because, the, and I wrote for Radio Theater, too, but they're really hard to write for because they're so persnickety. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. It's that persnickety-ness that is why it's so such a quality show and such a quality organization. So true. So you're in Colorado in the early 2000s. You're in the Christian Mecca of Colorado Springs and you're doing, you're doing what you love. So what, what, what caused you to, or how did God open up the door for you to write with LaHaye and Jenkins? I had known Jerry for, uh, you know, every time that he would come out with a book, I'd have him on my program, which was Open Line. You know, it was about every week he'd come out with a book. And so Jerry knew that I wanted to write because I'd send him these stories. And he said, look, if you really want to do this, I can help you, but it'll be painful. And I said, well, yeah, no, I, I really I like want pain. <laughs> teach me, Jerry, teach me. And he saw that I was serious about this, that I wasn't just, hey, am I any good at this? He knew that I really wanted to get better. And he was brutal. He was, I would write these left behind kids stories and they'd come in at like 35,000 words. He'd send them back to me at maybe 18 or 20,000 words. Oh, I mean, it's, <laughs> And it, and it, but instead of me saying, oh, you're such a terrible person, uh, you know, you're trying to hurt me. I thought, what am I not seeing here? What am I writing every time I come to the page that I'm not getting? And it was in the rewriting. It was in the editing that I think I started to really see of, you know, what I was doing, not wrong, but what every writer has happened. The, your first draft is not that good. And I want my first draft to be, you know, the, just the most beautiful thing that everybody falls down and worships me. And it just doesn't happen. Yeah, no Pulitzers on that first draft, that's for sure. So so you got to do that. And, that, and you uh, studied at the School of Hard Knocks or the School of Jerry Jenkins right. and uh, were able to do that. That's, and I know now you've written, how many books have you written? Seven, in the 70s. Uh, oh my gosh, wow. With 
kids books. I wrote 35 of the left behind kids books and Jerry and I did another 20 together in, uh, two different series. So 55 books, Jerry and me, and then some with Dr. LaHaye and then another 20, 20 some on my own. And those are the ones on your own. Are they all fiction? No. Uh, I wrote a book with Drew Brees. I wrote a book with, uh, Jim Tressel, uh, Gary Chapman, you know, so most of them have been fictional, but there have been some nonfiction thrown in there. Nice. Well, good. We're in the same boat then. Although I think I write a little more nonfiction than fiction nowadays, although I started out with only fiction. So it's funny how it all morphs. If you can write, then you can kind of do whatever. But although I don't advise authors to do that, you you and I are kind of a weird hybrid, but it's hard for branding. But you know, you have a couple different jobs, so you know that writing can't always pay the bills. Exactly. And I don't know, I think it's my using the other side of my brain a lot of times that brings me back fresh to the page. Because mm-hmm. I've always thought, you know, my I have a, an incorporated business. It's called Just Write Productions, because that was my goal to just write. And I think if I just wrote, I wouldn't have as much material as if I did, you know, the rest of the stuff. If I didn't have nine kids, if I didn't have, mm-hmm. you know, struggles in my life, if it didn't have a radio show where I'm listening to people talk about the struggles in their lives. That brings a lot to me. So, you know, I, I thank God in one sense that I don't just write. Right. And and I find, too, that I get really, really stale if I'm not interacting with other people or I'm not, uh, if I don't have struggles and I don't necessarily have anything to write about. And that's why I've called you onto this uh, show today, because I want to hear about your process or one of your stories where God has kind of taken you through a valley and you've possibly, maybe you're crawling out on the other side or you have the the ability to look back and see it. But I just wanted to ask you to share that story with listeners today. I was writing a book called Junebug, and it's about uh, a little girl who rides around in an RV with her dad around the country, and they park in Walmart parking lots, and one day she gets out of the RV and she goes into the store and she sees on the uh, missing children board inside, she sees herself. Mm. That's the first page of the book. And the rest of the book is, who am I? Who is he? Where did I come from? And that's probably, the that book was made into a film called uh, Child of Grace. And I, it's one, it's probably my most popular book other than War Room and, you know, some of the other things collaboration-wise. And the, the reason I bring that up is because as I started writing that story, our family was in a really difficult struggle. We had had about eight years of, with nine kids and a bunch of pets, we had had eight years of real health struggles that we didn't have before we moved to Colorado. We couldn't figure it out. And the upshot of it was, there was uh, stachybotrys and other toxic mold in the in the house that we moved into. Now, mm. This was a 5,500 square foot house. We moved from 1,800 square feet and eight kids to 5,500 square feet. This was the house we were going to die in, you know, and it, we almost did. <laughs> oh, dear. Pets got sick. Our kids got sick. My wife has 60 doctors, 60 professionals that she went to in those years Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's wrong with him, what's wrong with her, what's wrong with us. And finally, somebody said to her, do you think it might be your house making you sick? And she laughed at it because it was just so far out of the realm of possibility. There was nothing. You look at this house and you say, there's nothing wrong with this. But because the builder had cut corners there was a leak behind two of the shower installs. There was a leak behind there that we could not see. 
and it was affecting all of us. So in the summer of uh, 2008, as I'm writing this story, everything starts to go downhill. All the kids are dropping like flies. And in October of that year, we basically abandon the house. We treat it like a fire and we leave with the clothes on our backs and, and like vagabonds, we take flight and try to get, try to figure out now, okay, how do we get our health back? How do we, oh God, help us to, you know, get back to where we were before we moved in here. That was our goal. I worked in the office that was built over the garage and in writing that book, and I'd put a Tyvek suit on every day because the office wasn't connected to the house, but we were concerned maybe there's some, you know, some residual mold in there. Well, we finally had it tested and it was as bad as mm. the as the rest of the house. So then, so I'm doing a daily radio show, okay? I'm doing a daily show that's on the Moody Radio Network, you know, around the country, and I am broadcasting from a pull-along trailer of my friend down the street where I can plug my ISDN line and run it out the window in the front house, and I'm, I'm literally hearing crows fly over. And this is in January of 2009. <laughs> it was surreal. But I can tell you, I did probably my best shows during that time. The conversations were richer. The conversations were, got to the, got to the core, you know. And in writing that book with this little girl, she, all she has is what she can put in that RV. And there's a, a part in the book where she loses even that. And as she's writing that, I feel this loss. I feel the pain. We had to put our dogs down. I feel the struggle that that little girl is going through so uh, viscerally. And I can't tell you when I got to the end of that book and, and wrote, you know, the end, wrote the last scene, the tears that came to that. And they say if the writer can't have tears, the reader can't have them. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I did my part. I don't know if anybody else <laughs> cried at that book, but... I did my part because that crucible led me to a place in my writing that I hadn't been and I didn't want to go, but that's where the story took me and that's where God took us. And uh, I'll always be grateful for that process. I bet in the middle of that, you may not have been grateful. <laughs> First of all, how did, how did you figure it out? Like, did an, Obviously, an expert came in, but how did your fam family react when you finally said, okay, this is what's going on? The kids were amazing. Uh, it was more me that had to get to where we needed to be because Andrea had figured this out and said, I think we, I think we need to leave the house. And she said that to me on the phone as I was flying back to Colorado from a wedding in Chicago. And I had the whole flight to kind of figure, you know, is my wife crazy? Mm -hmm. is she, has she gone off a rocker? There's no way, you know, we had just bought, we had, because we had done two remediations, we had spent tens of thousands of dollars. We had bought new furniture. We put new carpet in. We, all this stuff is like, you're telling me we're going to, and, and on that plane ride back, I made the decision I asked myself, what does love look like? How do I show love to my wife who really believes this? If, th if she's all wrong about this, if she's all wet and we get out of the house, in a month we'll move back in and we'll laugh and we'll have lost a little bit more but not that much. If she's right about this, how much regret am I going to have in my life looking down the road saying, we'd only gotten out of that house sooner, our kids would be, you know. And so I said, I'm going that direction. I'm going to run toward her heart, her mama bear heart, I'm going to embrace that, embrace that because I was in the, you know, providing mode. I was, 
I got to I got to make the money to pay the bills, to keep us going, to get the kids to college, to do blah, blah, blah. You know, in this house is our biggest investment. You know, there's no way we can lose that. And then I thought, if it were a fire, what would I do? I'd grab kids and we'd run, you know, we'd, we'd maybe take a photo album, but we'd run. And so that's what we did. And it led us through and it's been this eight or nine year odyssey now of running to the desert and trying to figure out, okay, now what does life look like? And uh, I'll always be grateful for that process again that that really got to the core. What do I really love? What do I really value here in my life? Is it the stuff or is it the people? And it's, you know, it's the people. It's just how do you make that decision? For the listeners of ReStory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. And today, I'm going to suggest that you try one of Chris's novels. He has one on Audible called Dogwood. One word, Dogwood. So please check that out. And you can download that book or any other book that you've been wanting to listen to at audibletrial.com forward slash ReStory for your free audiobook. Right. And leaving things behind is, is, is its own grief. I'm sure that you went through grief, but I'm also curious how, how everyone's health did in the aftermath of walking away. The, you know what's the, and you'll, you'll identify with this, the books, the signed copies. I had signed copies of Pat Conroy books. I had, you know, my, the To Kill a Mockingbird that I'd bought, this writing book by Dean Koontz that I can't find anywhere now. <laughs> I mean, it costs, you know, a couple hundred dollars now uh, because it's out of print. That was, that was a big loss. But this running toward health, we came to Tucson because there's a doctor here that treats people like us. And we ran toward, I mean, we drank clay to sequester this stuff, to try to get it out of our alimentary system. We we took all of these uh, supplements and spent a lot of money on that and, and nebulized, you know, did the inhaling and all this kind of stuff. And what we found was we were throwing more chemicals at the chemicals inside of us. <laughs> and so we really came to the place where we said, the best thing we can do is to give our bodies an opportunity to heal the way that they do naturally. So get as much exercise and as fresh air as we can, which is a great place to, you know, Tucson's a great place to be. Sure. And not a very moldy place. Right. But <laughs> there's mold here. See, yeah. that's the other thing. Psychologically, you're wondering, if I, buy, if I buy a new book or I buy a new computer, am I going to have to throw that away? It took us until, uh, it took us several years to have a dog because I was afraid. I didn't want to go through, I, I took the dogs to, you know, through that process. And it was the hardest thing I, I had to do other than to tell that we had one son who was going through some real struggles health-wise, constant vertigo, constant vomiting. And, and you know, we had to carry him to the bathroom so that he, could, he couldn't stand up. And this was a kid who was healthy. He was playing baseball the year before that. You know, it's like, what, what in the world's going on here? And I say, I still contend that little dog that we had was the one who pulled him through because that that dog sensed something was going on in his life. And he, he cuddled up with that uh, boy. And I had to tell him that day that uh, Frodo wasn't with us anymore. Oh. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I might do it a little differently now. You know, looking back on it with nine years, I, I might make some different decisions. But we were in this firestorm of how do we, how do we move forward with our lives? And the error that I'll tell you that we tried is to go toward healing. We want to be healed. We want God to heal us and we're going to do all these things. Well, 
I wrote a book a little later than that called uh, Every Waking Moment. And the main item, the main issue of that book is the question, if this is as good as it gets, am I okay with that? If this is as good as my health gets, am I okay with that? If this is as good as my marriage gets, am I okay with that? And I want to feel real close to God. I want to hear his voice every day, but I don't. If this is okay, if this is as good as it gets with God, am I okay with that? Am I, can I be content with what I have? And we are, we are down the road light years from where our health was. We're down the road psychologically. You know, I don't turn around and think, oh, the water spilled. We've got to, <laughs> you know, and you can get that way. Or, uh, you know, we've got this old book that we brought in and somebody has a nosebleed. Is, is that what's doing? You know, I don't, I don't have that same wrapped up feeling that I had back then. But it doesn't take a whole lot to get there. And I would say instead of looking for healing, I'm looking for wholeness and being as much as I can be whole right where I am. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think I think we can get really disappointed with God if we make this ideal our you know, our nirvana, so so to speak. So we say, oh, if only, we do a lot of if onlys, <laughs> if only these five things would happen, then I will praise you, God. But really, it's more like, I'm going to praise you in the middle of this. Define faith as, God, if you do this for me, then I'll believe in you. you yeah. know, God, if you restore me, if you, you know, give me a house now. It took a long time to buy another house, you know, yeah. um, to just be able to go through that whole process. But I think faith is not, God, if you do this for me, I'll believe you. Faith is, God, no matter what happens to me, I believe you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. And and that's another byproduct. I really saw what I really believed as I was in the U-Haul driving these new uh, mattresses. We bought new mattresses, and I, I drove them from Colorado to Tucson and we put them in the house that we were going to, that we were renting. Well, the house that we were renting, we didn't know it, had been sprayed pesticides inside the house for termites. We didn't know this. We became chemically sensitive because of all of the mold exposure that we had. So every one of those uh, mattresses then was infected or whatever you want to say, exposed to all these pesticides. We had to throw every one of those away. And and at that point, I, you know, this is either, I want to jump off a cliff. Yeah. I don't want to go to, I don't want to, go to the, the mailbox again because there's medical bills. There's stuff, the insurance, the health insurance didn't come through. I mean, it was just this, it, you, I felt like Job. I was waiting for the boils to come out. I had the pots ready to start scraping, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even in the middle of that, g- g- from God, it wasn't from me. God gave us the ability to say, you know what? It's going to be all right. Because our, our, this is our story. Our story is different than the one I would write. But this is our story. This is what God has given us. And I have seen him time after time use that, you know, use the loss and the struggle in other people's lives as they are, you know, looking at us. But at the same time, I don't want to make that the thing. I don't want to have to, God, if I can figure this out, then I'll believe in you. If I could, you know, you gave me that experience so that other people could be helped and it makes all sense to me. No, that's not what I'm having faith in. I have faith in you because you're good and you love me and you've shown that time and time again. That's what I'm hanging on to, not what I can understand. 
I struggle with some of those same things too, because I, and I think because both of us are storytellers, we want to want to make sense of something. So uh, my husband's out of a job right now and he's he interviewed several times for a position in Seattle. That's where we're actually from. And after six interviews, he didn't get the job. And in my mind prior to that, I was like, this makes sense, Lord. This could be an interesting completion to a story. We've been all over the world and now we're going back home. This makes sense. So when he didn't get it, I was like, but Lord, you know, this would have made a really interesting story and it would have tied up so nicely. And, and so I think it's the storyteller in us that is trying to determine meaning when sometimes it's kind of, there's, it's really hard to find the meaning and we won't know until the other side. And that is an issue of control, you know, because as a storyteller, I have ultimate control. Yeah. So one way or the other, you write my book and I'll have control finally. (laughs) And here's the other thing about it. Most people who read a story want that too. They want everything wrapped up. You watch a TV show, you watch a movie. You don't want these questions that are floating around there. And with, I mentioned the story Junebug. At the end of Junebug, a lot of people didn't like the uh, a portion of the ending because they said it should have happened this way. It should have happened that way. And a fellow in Hollywood who optioned the book first said, no, it had to happen that way. And then he told me a little of his story, his backstory. And he said, it had to happen that way because that's life. That's real life. So, you know, I, my stories may not sell as much as, as other people's who wrap everything up, but I want there to be authenticity. I want there to be reality so that when you look at, when you read something like this, you're seeing a mirror of what you experience. So then you have the opportunity to say, am I going to trust God in this, even though I can't understand everything? Yes, very well said. A couple of things that you mentioned throughout your story um, kind of triggered me in the sense of, we had a difficult story in France, and um, I haven't shared that story completely openly with listeners yet, but uh, there was a lot of PTSD in the aftermath of that. And I'm curious, how much have you seen trauma in the midst of all that? And how have you and your family learned to heal from trauma? Because that sounds like a pretty traumatic experience. Yeah, it was. And it's not the traditional traumatic experience. Right. You, you weren't know. shooting people in another country. You were battling mold. It's two different things, but there's still trauma associated with that. You know, the, the part of the trauma is having people not believe you or say, here's the magic fix. All you need to do with your house is, you know, this, yeah. that, or the other thing. <laughs> exactly. And, um, I, you know, where I saw it break, when I, when I started to have hope about our trauma and there was, you know, there, because of the nature of the brain injury that, that the kids had and that we had as parents, you know, there's a lot of outbursts, there's anger, there are, you know, uncontrollable rage and these types of things. When you just think, when am I going to get out of the nut house? I just want out of here. And where I saw it start to break was when my wife would do something and we'd laugh to get. And she'd look at me and I'd look at her and there's such great pain in the middle of all of this stuff. And yet we could smile at each other or she'd, you know, like on April Fool's Day, she'd super glue a quarter to the front step, you know, of the house where we were renting or put rubber bands around the, uh, the faucet so that when you turned it on, you'd get all wet. It's like, yeah, There's still life here. There's still life in the middle of all the questions and all of the, all all the hurt and the pain. So that gave me an awful lot of hope when I started to see those glimmers. 
That's good stuff. Now, you've partially answered this question already, but uh, maybe there's a different way to frame it. How, in the midst of all this, and as you've come out onto the other side, how has God restoried you? How has he given you a new story that you might not have had had you not walked through the moldy house problem? I think, for me, the expectation of all this, I had a I had a template of my life, you know, I was going to write these stories with Jerry Jenkins, Left Behind Kids, they were going to be, they were going to get my name known. I was going to write War Room, you know, the the story of the Kendricks. People are going to see my name. They're going to start buying the stories that I have. Then we're going to, you know, be financially uh, independent now. I can go <laughs> and I can do whatever I want to do and, you know, boom, there's my life right there. Well, I wrote for several years in the back closet of our rental house. It was the only place that was quiet enough to do my radio show and do my writing in a 13 by 15 closet with no window. That's not success. (laughs) I will tell you, I felt as much success there because I felt the, I felt the hand of God in the middle of this. And I guess my expectations of having to have a bestseller or to be known or, uh, you know, to, to have my, my name on some, you know, New York Times bestseller list or whatever. The expectation of that came off and, and the template then that was put over it was, can you be faithful to do what God has given you to do fully? Colossians 3, 23 and 24, fully for him, Philippians 2, for his praise, honor and glory. Can you do that? without having to be seen, without having to be known, to be to, to struggle, you know, alone in a lot of ways. Because when you come to the desert, we felt very alone. And, and in a sense, we still do. We don't have the same kind of connections we used to have uh, with friends and all of that. Can you do that faithfully every day and trust me with the increase, whether people see this or not? And when you write to the audience of one and when you talk to the audience, that audience, then all of those those expectations, all of that stuff that you thought was success goes away and you just say, make me faithful and do it. And just talking with you, Mary, you know, I, I don't know what we were going to really talk about, but to be fully here, to tell you my story, for you to share your story, for people to interact with this kind of thing and just, you know, the, the reality of it, that's success. And I want to do that every day with every breath. Amen to that. Now, there's there's people listening to this who maybe don't have a house that has issues, but maybe they are walking through something very difficult where they have to leave everything behind. And so what kind of advice would you give someone in that situation? Well, if you have to, do it, you know, because because this was a huge thing. You know, if it's a fire, you know. You know, if I stay here, I'm going to get burned. <laughs> right. If it's mold, you can't see it. And this is a metaphor for so many other things in our life. Maybe it's a sin issue. Maybe there's an extramarital affair. Maybe there's something going on in your life that you're hanging on to this MacGuffin over here because you think, I can't live without that. Some addiction, some, I don't know what it is. But it's it's hidden from everybody else, but you can see it and you know it. My word to you is drop it like a hot rock, run from it like a house of fire, because you will be better off for it and then get people around you who will understand and and not everybody does. And you have to be careful, as you know, Mary, in sharing your story and the, you know, your backstory, there are some people who get it and who are right there with you. 
but most don't. Most want to fix you or uh, do something else, not because they're mean, it's just they don't understand. And so you have to surround yourself yourself with people who will help you be whole, <laughs> you know, who can handle the authenticity, who can handle the the reality and who who can handle that leaving that stuff and trust you that you're doing the right thing and that you, they're going to walk through you even if they don't understand it. So very true and community is just such an important part of that healing process. And I also think that one of the things that just reminded me when I was talking to you was this idea of our greatest fear. And I remember once thinking our neighbors behind us had lost their home to foreclosure. And I remember thinking to myself, I could never go through that. That's my biggest fear. And uh, <laughs> sure enough, on the mission field, we were forced to go into foreclosure because someone stole our house. And long, very long story. But the thing that I very much feared happened to us. And and the Lord was so gracious to me in that time because I was like, you know, totally freaked out financially and all of that. We'd worked our whole life to have awesome credit. And in one instance, someone stole it from us. And, you know, we're on the other side of the world and we can't do anything about it. And, and this greatest fear had come upon me. And the Lord said to me, you say that you believe that I own a cattle on a thousand hills, but do you really believe it? And it felt like to me, he was not saying an ultimatum, but just saying, Let's walk together here because now you're going to really see where your faith is. You've said it before, but now you have to live it. And look at what you're doing with that, Mary. <laughs> yeah. look, at, look at where God has led you and what he's led you to do and write and, and speak about and talk about. That comes from that well of both pain and faith, you know? And so I, that's what I hope for everybody who's listening to this. That you don't you don't have to make it to some plateau where now you know you can you can speak and do, no live right where live fully right where you are and let God's truth shine through you to your kids your family if you're single to the people around you and you are a shining light of that and I'm, I'm not saying that to puff you up because I know some of the struggles that you've been through Mary and you are that you're you're taking the lemons <laughs> you know you're taking the lemons that uh, that the evil one the enemy wants to throw at you and you're just squeezing them so you keep doing that well thank you i'm greatly encouraged and i so appreciate that and what i love about your story is is you're not unwilling to talk about the sadness of it all or the bewilderment or that it was a struggle and you know i, I live in the south now i'm not um, back in Seattle, I'm in the South and the church tends to be a little bit like that where we try to cover up all the bad stuff to kind of present a beautiful facade to the world. And I'm kind of over it now. And I, I'm actually much happier talking to people that are saying, yeah, this is really hard. <laughs> yes. And isn't that refreshing to hear somebody say, you know, uh, the police pulled up in front of our house last night and my son is in jail today. Yes. <laughs> and that's not, that's not what you, and that hasn't happened to us today, but. It's not in your it, Christmas newsletter, hopefully, but right. yeah. <laughs> or on Facebook. Hey, yeah. look what, look at, you know, the, the officer came. No, it's not, but this is real life. And so if this is the story that God has given you, I had somebody on the, on the uh, program the other day called Mary and she was t talking about, addiction in small towns, small town America. And she told this, and she's been called to, to go back to her people and to, you know, do all this kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm, uh, was going to let her go. We went to a break. And in the break, she told me I'm driving home right now. I'm 10 miles from home. And I've just spent 18 months incarcerated in a federal penitentiary. 
And I said, hang on, <laughs> I'm back. You got to talk about that. And she said, when she came back, she said, you know, I, I didn't want to really say this, but it's part of my story. And it is. And I'm just, I'm, I was so proud of her for, for saying this, th- saying the truth about herself. Because we, when we talk about the truth about ourselves and our situation, there are bonds that are broken. There, are, there is freedom in that where you can just be who you are and you don't have to pretend anymore like we do so much in the church. So let's stop pretending. Let's live, you know, the lives that God has given us and, and the, the mistakes that we've made and all of that. Yep, I totally agree. And somebody has to go first. Someone has to be vulnerable first in order to not only break bonds of difficulties, but to form bonds of friendship with people because they need to know that they're not alone. And, you know, if you're out there struggling today thinking, well, you know, no one understands. That's not true, first of all. Um, and second of all, there are people out there that understand. It's just that we need to share our stories more so that other people can have points of contact with us, some human contact. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for coming on the Restory Show today. I'm really excited about being able to share this with all the listeners out there. And I'm glad that you're not in a home that is making you sick anymore. That's really good news. Thank you, Mary. Appreciate everything that you do. You keep doing it. And I hope we get to talk down the road. Thanks for listening to the Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you right now? Lord, thank you that you are the God of our health. You are the God of our home. You are the God of our stories. You are the God who sees, and we can rest in your ability to protect us, your ability to walk us through difficult trials. I thank you for Chris's story, and I thank you that you brought his family to a safe place and that you brought him to a wide place. And all of the discipline and all of the growth that he's had as a result of his trials, I thank you for that and and the wisdom that you've granted him. I pray for anyone listening to this Restory podcast today that you, if they are struggling in their health or they're having an environmental issue like this, Lord, that you would just give them insight, that you would speak to them and help them to make the decisions that they need to make. And for anyone that's suffering from chronic health issues, I pray, Father, that you would bring some breakthrough this week, that there would be at least an answer or a new way or a new diet or a new possibility in healing that illness. And I do pray that if that illness drags on, that you would bring that person closer to your heart, that they would shine who you are. They would be a shining example of who you are. Be their strength. Thank you that in their weakness, you are strong. And thank you that we can come to you with every problem, big or small. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more information about today's shows with links and extended information, please go to marydemuth.com restory 2-3. That's restory 2-3. And may you live a brand new story this week.